Because you know it's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, 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 drought. Yeah, it's pretty clear. We're really short on blue. It's time to save it, save it, like we're supposed to do. Some say it's doom, gloom, and all our grass must go. But together we can make it and enjoy our golden state. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. Welcome to Southern California to the water zone, Bill and And from the deserts to the mountains to the oceans to all across America, back to San Bernardino, Anaheim, and El Cajon. This is Rob Starr with the Water Zone Show, and today is Agriculture Day. And today is where we feature the Ag Group, and we have Ms. Inge Biscona and Mr. Paul McFarland from our micro-irrigation group. Are you guys on today? We're doing great. How are you? We're doing good. So I guess we have an exciting show tonight for you guys. We absolutely do, Rob. Uh, thank you so much for uh, you and Mike um, sharing sharing the joy with us. Um uh, the water zone has been a huge success, and we appreciate having uh, a time or two to talk about agricultural issues. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Ingie Bisconner with Toro Microirrigation in uh, El Cajon, California, headquarters for Ag Drip for Toro. Um, sitting here with my partner in all things Drip, Paul McFadden. Say hi, Paul. Hey, Rob. How are you? Hey, Paul. Welcome to that. And uh, actually, you know, one of, one of the good things about all of this is that water is important to everybody, and especially in the ag world, because, you know, people complain that we have to cut back on water at home. But, you know, if farmers cut back on water, uh, what they're doing, we're not going to get so much going on. So you guys got a lot to talk about. You had some interesting guests on last time, and uh, I think it's good for everybody to hear what's going on uh, for the other part of the world. So uh, I'll leave it to you to take on the show. So it's all yours. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, agriculture is definitely doing its part to increase water use efficiency to get the most out of every drop of water. And we've got some great guests tonight. Uh, Paul, tell them about our theme tonight. Our theme is going to be urban agriculture. So uh, as you drive around the uh, Southern California area, you see little patches of of nurseries or uh, strawberry fields or bean fields. Those are the folks, uh, greenhouses included in that, but those are the folks we're going to be talking to tonight, the folks that really have been engaged and involved in that sector of agriculture for many, many years, and in one case, in generations. So that's the, that's the theme tonight. Yeah, and our first guest, who I'll uh, introduce in a moment, um, is a husband, a very exciting husband and wife team from Archie's Acres in Valley Center, California. Uh, and then around 6.30... Our second guest uh, will call in, and Paul, you want to uh, just announce who that is? Our second guest this evening will be uh, A.G. Kalmura, a third-generation uh, Orange County uh, farmer and also our former Secretary of uh, Agriculture for the State of California's Food uh, uh, and Agricultural uh, Department. That'll be very exciting, too. So without further ado, let me introduce our first guest, um, Karen and uh, Colin Archiplay, uh with Archie's Acres. Um, Karen and Colin, are you there? 
I sure are. How are you? Oh, we're great. Welcome. Yeah, and I understand um, you just had an exciting event. I'll let you tell about it, uh, graduate, uh, VSAT graduation, but uh, just a little bit on Karen and Colin. Um, first, Karen, um, or Colin, um, basically Colin served three tours in Iraq as an infantry Marine, and he returned home to join his wife, Karen, in creating both Archie's Acres and what they call the VSAT program, the Veteran Sustainable Ag Training Program which is now known as the Sustainable Ag Training Program through Cal Poly Pomona. Colin still oversees the farm and the SAT Cal Poly Program and is always improving upon organic practices, both in hydro-organic as well as our soil for our grove. We'll be anxious to learn more about that, too. Colin recently was appointed by USDA to serve on the Hydro Task Force. And Karen has moved from fashion to real estate to media and public relations. Uh, Karen is serving on some boards, uh, such as the uh, California Certified Organic Farmers uh, Executive Committee, the Foundation Board, and on the uh, Pacific Southwest Chapter, as well as the Farm Service Agency and the Community Outreach Committee and the San Diego Farm Bureau, representing herb growers. So. Both of these folks are very, very uh, busy. Karen is in charge of media relations and product procurement and assists VSAP graduates nationally in connecting with support and discount programs from many agricultural-related products and services, as well as identifying buyers. So welcome, Colin and Karen. Thank you very much. Well, you two, you just uh, finished a VSAP graduation. So glad to have you uh, call in this evening. Tell us a little bit about Archie's Acres and the sustainable ag training programs that you folks have founded. And Karen, if you want to jump in, or Colin, uh, uh, but Karen, if you want to tell us a little bit about uh, Archie's, that'd be great. So we established our farm in 2006, and we started our training program actually in July of 2007. And since then, we have created not only our own sustainable organic hydro-organic farm, because we actually grow hydroponically organic, and we were actually turned out to be the first certified organic hydroponic farm, which is kind of cool. But we have our own farming operation, and separately, we teach the sustainable agriculture training course through Cal Poly Pomona, where we go from seed to market and from concept of a business idea the presentation of a business plan, which is what we just completed here at Wounded Warrior Battalion West at Camp Pendleton. We had 37 students giving their, their business plans in front of a panel of business leaders. It was really great. Wow, that's awesome. You know, I've had the uh, pleasure and privilege to attend that before, and I can't, I can't tell the, uh, our listening audience how heartening and exciting it is to watch these young grads um, have such a bright outlook with uh, becoming farmers. They're basically becoming farmers after they finish um, your program. So congratulations and thank you for what you do there. Thank you so much. Archie, uh, Archie's Acres has been around for a number of years. Obviously, it's grown. You guys have uh, uh, been on the national news. Um, uh, in various magazines and, and reported on uh, pretty extensively. Colin, what uh, what challenges uh, are, are you facing uh, on a regular basis uh, training vets to become farmers? What are the what are the things 
the three or four things that you you uh, see see that really stand out? Well, uh, first of all, hi, Ingy and Paul. It's been a, it's been a long time, but it's a pleasure to be on the phone with you guys tonight. Um, you know, I think many of the challenges that vets face are, are a lot of the same challenges that all beginning farmers face in that, um, as you guys know, land is expensive. Agricultural land is expensive. Um, and water in California uh, and beyond is not only expensive, but uh, more and more scarce. Um, you know, and labor, uh, I should say, not just labor in general, but affordable labor as well, is, is becoming harder and harder to find. I think the the upside to what bets have is, uh, you know, the scale work ethic to actually do this type of work. Um, if you look at uh, uh, veterans in general, they have a much higher rate than our civilian ca- civilian counterparts in, in regards to becoming entrepreneurs, which uh, farmers are. Um, so they have that work of form. And, you know, Speaking for myself, I joined the military because I wanted to do work outside with my hands and so forth, um, which is obviously part of uh, what it means to be a farmer. So I think uh, they have those attributes working in their favor uh, in regards to becoming a farmer. But, you know, it's a, farming is a capital-intensive uh, business, you know, up front and, and even your operating costs and, and seasonal and so forth. And so it comes to unique challenges, but... Um, uh, you know, I think those kind of highlight the, the largest of them. Yes, I, um, I, as I uh, visited your farm on numerous occasions and uh, helped with some of the training, it's just, um, it does seem like it's an ideal fit. It makes sense for, for veterans to become farmers and Maybe you can expand on that um, a little bit more. Um, you being a combat veteran, you know, what's going on in the head of that uh, Marine or veteran when they come home and how this can help them transition? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, ultimately, we as a country are not very good at transitioning. Uh, service members out into the private sector, um, and you can you can see that with the high unemployment rate um, among best. Um, but uh, I think the agricultural community, a I think the agricultural community needs uh, newer leadership, if you will. The average age of the farmers reaching sixty, um, and so it needs young blood there. Um, and B, I think a lot of returning veterans. Um, you know, they may be looking to exit their military service for whatever reason, but they don't necessarily want to uh, quit serving their community or serving their country. And I think agriculture is a place where they feel that. You know, there's a connection between the community and uh, the farm. And um, particularly in today's age, the drought we're facing in California um, affects every household, and it's the farms on the forefront of addressing the drought issues, right? And as well as immigration issues, as well as uh, healthcare issues, as well as all these other, other, um, you know, huge issues that we're addressing um, in, in our country these days. And farms are kind of on the forefront. People don't always think, think of it that way, but that's where they are. And so um, one of our, roles and getting people to learn about the program is just by talking about uh, the agricultural industry and how it relates to all those things. And um, those challenges also present unique opportunities. And again, that's why I think vets are 
are so great at entrepreneurship and a good fit for ag because they train in a service day in, day out, thinking about how can we disrupt the enemy, come up with some new ways to, to trick them or do whatever they have to do to, to fulfill their mission. Um, that, that same type of concept can be applied to uh, any business, but particularly one that is limited on their import inputs because of drought or whatever the case may be, uh, limited on their access to labor because of immigration uh, issues and so forth. Um, those challenges, I think, to uh, our, our vets are where the opportunity lies, and I think they find it actually to be an exciting time. And just wow. to expand on that, it's really that adapt and overcome. They don't give up. We have witnessed so many people start their businesses and and where, um, you know, their civilian counterpart perhaps could, could really throw up their hands and say, wow, it's just not meant to be. These veterans find a way through it, which is so amazing. And I really believe that through our class, which we have many civilians take our class as well, we're teaching a, a work ethic where you find solutions rather than getting stuck on problems. And food, food and water is national security. So uh, so a fun, fun kind of a story, Karen, if I might. Um, between uh, Colin's first and second deployment, uh, uh, just after he uh, he left, uh, you got a water bill. You want to tell us that uh, story? If, uh, sure, sure. So kind of when fun. Colin, we bought our farm in between the second and third deployment. Colin was in Iraq. He was part of the invasion, the Battle of Fallujah, and then he was back for the Haditha, just as that became a hot spot. We moved on to the farm, just me and our animals. <laughs> And we expected our water bill to be about $50 a month, which it was when we lived in L.A. But here we were on three acres, and our first water bill was, was approximately, it was eight forty nine sixty seven, <laughs> And I was shocked. <laughs> I bet. And I tell you, not to tell your husband anything that will upset him, because what can he do about it in Iraq? But I didn't tell him, but he saw it online. And I will tell you, I always say the moment Colin saw that, was the moment we became a sustainable farm because Colin, in his leadership, in his military, he found a way that we could have our farm, and that is really why we became a hydro-organic. There was no doubt that we were going to grow organic, but we did not know what type, what method we were going to use. And Colin came up with hydroponics, and it has been amazing. And we're grateful because we could share that experience, and now hydro-organic hydro is throughout the nation. And we really feel honored and privileged to have been part of that that trailblazing. Yeah, not only not only trailblazing, but you know, enabling people to have occupations and growing wholesome food sustainably for the local community. And exactly, just, just hats off to you, folks. Uh, Karen, can you tell us a little more about the relationship? with Whole Foods? Sure. So Whole Foods has been an amazing partner with us. We work with them nationwide. They are very open to working with our graduates no matter where they land. I think that's such an unusual aligning, but they have reached out and really made it an opportunity available. And I will say that, you know, one of our goals is to reinvigorate the family farm throughout America. 
Whole Foods has been a great partner with us in that. And we feel really honored to, to have that affiliation. Great. That's a, that's really a, a wonderful uh, partnership that, that, that you both have created. So congratulations on that. Well done. Well, um, I also I, just I, want to quickly, can I quickly add that sure. when we started this, we had only had maybe one or two stories out in the newspaper. And I want to say thank you, Inge and Claude Corcoran. <laughs> Because Toro Irrigation, they didn't call us to see if we needed anything. They showed up at our farm and said, how can we help? And that's truly amazing because as a military family, we don't often ask for help. And it's really been I, it's such an honor to know you. Thank you, Inky. And, and Paul, being a part as well, I just it's really an honor. We appreciate knowing you. Well, you you folks are more than, more than welcome. And, yes, hats off to uh, Claude, our marketing um, director here at um, Toro Micro-Irrigation. Uh, he read about you in the Sunday paper, and I think that's exactly what happened. He showed up and said, how can I yeah. help? Uh, he had a uh, military uh, background in his family and uh, really uh, empathized with, with uh, your, your mission there. So I have a, a quick question on the, the specifics on the, the sustainability training uh, at, at, uh, that you do both at the farm and then at Cal Poly. What, what, uh, what exactly does that entail? Oh, well, that's a good question. Again, it is a partnership with Cal Poly, and so it's, uh, it's accredited. So students earn uh, 17 uh, quarter credits as well as a few certificates. Um, and we cover... You know, we, we try to cover a variety of different uh, um, irrigation techniques and the like because we know that farms are specific to market needs, to regional needs, to a variety of things. So what we do at Arches Acres may not be the best model for somebody that's going to uh, the Midwest, Florida, wherever the case may be. And in many cases, our students, they may be stationed in Southern California that are going home to you know, whatever the case may be, we also work with a lot of students coming from out of state. Um, and so, but again, uh, a, a huge emphasis of what we do is on water and irrigation techniques um, and how to measure and calculate water demand and so forth, as well as uh, the business aspects of, of running a farm. And that's, again, what we we're doing tonight with the students were presenting their business plans to a panel. So the capstone of the project is to build a business plan around a business plan around a farm or a farm-related product uh, that they pitch to a panel um, and get feedback on and so forth. And so that's what we're doing tonight. And it's, very, it's a very fun night. It's a fun night because there's a lot of stress leading up to it. And then the students are, uh, you know, they, they get through the presentation and you see this uh, sigh of relief on them and they're, they're stoked that they're ready to start the next uh, chapter in their career. But, again, it's a lot of uh, irrigation. Uh, as well as um, soil science and uh, a lot about the uh, the business aspect of things. And yeah, well, that, that's awesome. Uh, Karen, did you want to add on? No, I just said and food safety. And food safety, yes. Yeah. Well, that, that's a good segue because I was going to ask you, Karen, about your work on um, uh, the organic board. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that fits in with your operation? Well, it's been a really an honor to serve. And working with CCOS, being able to be on their board, first locally, but then nationally, it really gives us an opportunity to see what is on the forefront, what are the questions, 
And for us, it's really protecting that organic label. We live organic, so we grow organic. And oftentimes in the organic label, you do have people trying to add chemicals that they think should be, <laughs> they should be certified. And for us, it's really an interesting view of that, seeing it as a business for the very large farmers. They don't necessarily live the organic lifestyle. So it's been great to be able to mitigate some of that, to be able to head off some, some things that we would find damaging. But also now there's the big question about our hydro-organics and whether that should be labeled organic. And that has been an honor to be part of that because we really stand by our methods. We're proud of them. And we really feel like we, we have recreated that soil food web within a liquid fertilizing implementation. So I don't know if that's the right word for that, but, but I would say that being on those boards there was issues that we probably would have never heard about. And not only do we hear about it, but we can do something about it and be proactive. So that, for me, yeah. is why it's not because we have so much extra time, but it's because we really care about the organic label and what's happening as a nation. Yeah, no, well, you're, I... you're, you're, you're walking the talk, uh, so to speak. Uh, and didn't you also impart that knowledge to a high-profile uh, uh, um, family in Washington, D.C. a few months ago, uh, a high-profile <laughs> garden, if I might add. We did. <laughs> we planted the first lady's garden, and that was yeah. a real honor. But I would tell you, the next day we met with Doug McCaleb, which is the rural advisor to President Obama, and thank you, Inge, for that introduction. It was amazing. And because of that meeting today, anyone can use their... VA home loan to buy a farm, and that was through our advocacy with Doug McKayla, and that is totally true today. But also that sustainable organic agriculture is now a career track for every branch of the military. And to us, that was the more that was that was just the top of that trip. That yes, we did plant Michelle Obama's garden, and it was that it was fabulous. And if I could just. Uh you know, jump in and in regards to Karen's involvement on the CCUF board, you know, I think um, I'm pretty, really, very proud of Karen's work on the board because uh, when Karen first joined the board, CCOF wanted to merge with a, another organic certifier. And I like CCOF a lot, and that would have been a great merger for CCOF, but it wouldn't have been a great merger for the farmer because it would have reduced the, comp, uh, reduced the option the farmer had for other certifiers in the space. Um, and that could have led to uh, inflated costs and so forth. So Karen being on the board uh, took a vote that was not in favor of the organization, but was in favor of the farmer and that, uh, and she was on the right side of that vote and they did not merge. And I think that was a good thing. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> we have about four minutes left. Paul has a question and then I have a kind of a bizarre last question. If there is time. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I just was curious, from your perspective, both of you, how do we get more folks involved in urban agriculture? Well, that's a good question. You know, that's, and that's one reason why I'm involved in the uh, hydroponic aquaponic task force for the National Organic Program, because there is a uh, some um, farmers who are pushing to exclude soilless agriculture um, in the organic space. And soilless agriculture can range from anything from you know, hydroponic recirculating water systems to throwing some compost in a bucket 
uh, and, and, and growing some plants. Um, and, and for me, you know, not everybody can be uh, a landowner in the Central Valley and have a couple hundred acres of land to farm on that's, that's fertile and so forth. Sometimes, and, and more importantly, it's usually the farm worker that does it, right? The average farm worker is making nine fifty an hour. Um, and if you ban soilless agriculture from the organic space, that essentially means only privileged landowners get to participate. Uh, if you maybe have a patio or a rooftop and all you can do is throw some containers uh, full of compost or peat moss or whatever it is and grow some crops and take it down to the farmer's market, you don't get to participate in the, the urban space. So that's marine, the main reason why I serve on this, this particular task force is to ensure not only in the organic space but beyond, everyone gets the opportunity to participate uh, and, and bring some democracy uh, to the space because um, all too often the space does consolidate and, and uh, fewer and fewer people are participating, and I think that's a problem. How do we get more people involved in urban agriculture? Um, I think the biggest thing that has sparked the movement with urban agriculture is the bi-local movement, which is just prevalent everywhere. And it was followed up by companies like Whole Foods, but not exclusive to Whole Foods, uh, many others who created uh, open doorways uh, for local growers. Because the typical distribution model is you sell to a broker, and that's who the grocery stores deal with, not the farmer direct. Well, more and more uh, buyers are dealing with farmers direct as opposed to uh, the broker. And that's opening up the space for urban agriculture, because I think by far, urban agriculture is going to be priced of small, uh, petite-sized farms. So I think that was a big piece of it. And the other piece is more success stories, right? People want to know that there's uh, that they could be successful investing their time and their energy into, into doing something. And I think we're starting to see more of that. The community supports it, obviously. Uh, the market supports it. And uh, it's just being able to actually become successful at doing that and sharing that story, I think, will, will energize more and more people. Yeah, well, a lot of people have taken notice, and uh, you, you, are, um, um, you were honored recently, I think, at the White House. The, um, uh, you were the Forces of Change uh, Award, if I'm not mistaken. Champions of Change, that was correct. That yeah, was quite veteran. the honor. Champions of Change. Yeah, congratulations on that. Well, we have just about a minute left. Is there anything you folks would like to share? Otherwise, I have a, a funny question. Well, one thing well, you, uh, you know, we can ask them, uh, so how do people to, get a hold of them? Uh, and first of all, thank you very much, Colin, for your service to America. Everybody at the Toral Company and the Water Zone really appreciate that. And you guys got a wonderful thing going. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you guys and find out more, how do they do that? So how do they get a hold of you folks? Uh, I uh, Uh How else uh, should they get a hold of you? Yeah, the, the website's the best way, but also uh, 760-751-4380 for our office number. Thank you, Karen and, and Colin. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you on the Water Zone. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you, Colin, for thank your you service, so and much. thank you guys for what you do for veterans. And hey, farmers. Colin, Welcome back to the Water Zone on KCAA 1050 AM and 106.5, and today is our Ag Day. 
where we're learning more about uh, special things in agriculture uh, with Ms. Inge Viscona and Paul McFarlane of the Toro Microrrigation Irrigation Group. And, uh, Inge, that was a great guest. Aren't they awesome? I mean, you just can't beat Karen and Colin Archiplay of Archie's Acres. I hope, uh, I hope our listening audience uh, engages with them. If anybody wants to become a farmer, there's a training program. There's a training program that uh, they can enroll in in six weeks, uh, eight weeks, ten weeks, I think it is, and they can become um, skilled to actually grow food. Think of that. That's, that's incredible. That's a great thing that these guys are doing. Well, I'll turn it over to you for your next guest. I know they're available on the line, so take it over, Ingi. Uh, welcome. Uh, A.G. Colmer is our next guest. A.G., are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, Good evening. Welcome. Good evening. Let me uh, uh, give uh, your uh, background, and then I'll give you a minute to uh, give us uh, a little more detail and, and uh, fill us in on anything I may have missed. A.G. Colmer is a former Secretary of Agriculture for the State of California from 2003 to 2010 uh, under the Schwarzenegger administration. He's a third-generation fruit and vegetable grower shipper in Orange County. Uh, He's the uh, co-chair of Solutions for the Land, a nonprofit organization uh, collaborating farmers, ranchers, and foresters and others to implement Climate Smart Land Management Practices, member of numerous boards, including the the American Farmland Trust, the Board of Agricultural and Natural Resources, which is the policy arm of the National Academy of Sciences Natural Resource Council, the Ag Advisory Committee for the Chicago Council of Global Affairs, trustee for the Council of Ag Science and Technology, National Steering Committee on the 25 by 25 Renewable Energy Coalition, External Advisory Board for the Sustainability Institute at UC Davis, a former chairman and current board member of the Western Growers Association, a farming organization based in Orange County. AG has had a lifetime of experience working within the shrinking rural and urban boundaries of Southern California. Through his company, Orange County Produce LLC, he is engaged in building an uh, uh, an exciting and in- innovative, active 21st century 100-acre ag showcase at the Orange County Great Park in Irvine, the former uh, Marine Corps Air Station there. So if you haven't seen the uh, Great Park, I strongly suggest you take a drive down there. You're in for a big surprise. So welcome, A.G., to the Water Zone. Thanks, Paul. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, the history of uh, the Calmora family and farming, and how you settled in Orange County, and, and kind of what your uh, what your uh, motivations are. A little bit of your background, if you would please. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, it, it, it's not that long ago. Uh, if you have any grandparents that are still alive, um, my grandparents all are all from Japan, and they showed up into the California area uh, a little over 100 years ago, early 1900s, in the L.A. region and, and became involved in agriculture. Um, during that time, Los Angeles was the, basically the hub, and as was then San Diego had their uh, hub, but everything in between was very rural. Uh, and during the course of many, many uh, decades, L.A. County was the number one agricultural county in America, 
during the 40s, the 30s, and actually into the 50s. Uh, my understanding, actually before the 50s, and my understanding is Orange County was the number one ag county in America in 1949 for a single year. And then it went up north into Fresno, where it's actually Fresno and Tulare County have been the number one or number two ag counties in America for the last 60-plus uh, years and remain so to this day. Uh, but that speaks of during the uh, 40s and 50s, I was born in 1956, the enormous agricultural uh, region, which was Southern California, the, the greater L.A. Basin, which Orange County is kind of the southern end of that, and then you get into the southern mountains and you get towards San Diego, the regional coastal range. But uh, the beautiful thing about this area, it's one of the most incredible spots on the planet to have agriculture because of the great weather. We have a Mediterranean climate. And sure enough, we moved from uh, L.A. County as it was starting to urbanize. Our, our original company, which was formed right after World War II uh, by my grandfather and my father, which was called Western Marketing at the time, we moved down to Orange County just after I was born in the mid-50s. And, and part of that was driven by the urbanization of the Los Angeles. Uh, we were farming at the time in the, in the, around the LAX airport and uh, had our packing shed in, uh, near Comp- in Compton. And we moved down to Fullerton. And in those days, in the 50s and 60s, everything was shipped on rail. Uh, and we we were in the vegetable business, and we eventually got into the strawberry business in the early 60s, late 50s. Um, and we were, were our company is what is called a grower and a shipper. We grow product ourselves, and then we also market our own products. And then we're fortunate to represent a couple other growers, long-time growers, third and fourth generation growers, uh, and actually fifth generation too in, in Orange County. And we work together to basically sell our products um, uh, to whoever will buy them. Um, currently, we farm in Orange County, and as everybody would know driving around, there's not a lot of farmland that you can see from a freeway anyway, but there's still pieces of ground here and there. And we're, we've, uh, we've basically grown up in a rural area, and urbanization came our way. So we didn't choose the farm in an urban area. We were here farming. And what we've been able to do and what we continue to do is farm uh, uh, as, as a grower and shipper, but we farm on a scale that's large enough to allow us to still sell to uh, chain stores, uh, food service folks. We also just sell to the local uh, restaurants, and we work with some really top chefs in our area, uh, at Pelican Hill, for example, uh, Chef... Uh, um, chef uh, um, I, I, got a, I think it's late enough that I, I can't remember all the names, but Jean-Pierre uh, at Chef at Pelican Hill is a wonderful chef that we work very closely to supply, you know, basically product that, products that are harvested within hours and move them over to his restaurant and several other chefs, uh, Chef Kathy at uh, Pablo's over at uh, Luca's in uh, Provenance. But our, our model is, is that we're here, we, we, we've grown up here, our our families are here, and we want to continue farming in an urban area, Paul. So we're, we, we continue to look for different ways to uh, do that kind of, ag- do an urban agriculture, and what might be hydroponics, it might be conventional production, and certainly it also includes our organic production, and that's where we are right now. We're, 
we're here, we're thinking we're going to be here for a long time, and we love the fact that we have a chance to provide food for this region. Uh, hi, A.G. It's Angie here. Uh, it was good to see you last week at the at the IA, and we might touch on that a little bit. But uh, with such a rich history and uh, having farmed, you know, for three generations, I bet you can tell quite a story about how your stewardship of resources might have evolved over that time period as well. Uh, you know, you, you're basically saying you started in an urban environment and then urbanization encroached on you. How did that affect your um, the inputs into your farm, such as water and fertilizer, uh, of how you managed and... Uh, um, and the practices that, that you employed. So tell us a little bit about the evolution of maybe your irrigation and fertigation practices. Sure. Uh, hi, Inge. Uh, and one of the things that it's, I think is important for us to talk about when we look at agriculture today in 2015, um, I, I remember very clearly the first large animal I ever touched was a mule uh, that was in a barn in Fountain Valley, uh, on a farm that we were farming on, um, and as little dinky kids, we would go and we'd go and pet the mule. But that mule was from a mule uh, plow team that was that was before the advent of tractors. But the mule was still alive. Uh, and I remember my older sister telling me that the mules used to bite. You know, don't don't get too close if the mule would bite. But it was it was <laughs> always nice to us as a little kid. But just think of that in that span of time. Uh, again, I was born in the mid-50s, that this is how much progress has been made in agriculture. We were, uh, just before World War II, almost all of America, very much almost all of America, was using animal uh, husbandry, um, uh, mules, horses, ox, uh, I don't know whether we had oxen, but um, to basically pull all the implements and make all the things work in agriculture. And look at us today where we have uh, automatic-driven tractors and things. Uh, so as we grew up in this area and as we started to see the advances show up in, in our region, uh, we were fortunate that whether you were growing strawberries or you are growing vegetables, and we so currently today we grow vegetables and strawberries, we grow both, uh, the technologies that came along through the University of California, uh, University of California and the other incredible land-grant colleges in our nation they provided us with year after year, decade after decade, new kinds of technology that we could come and look at. I learned I was not a farmer from uh, the university. I did not have an agronomy background or a biology or a science background or an agricultural background. I had some ag economics early in my college career, but um, I learned a lot from going to the cooperative extension at the University of California to basically learn a lot about farming. And we were, as a company, we were not the uh, we were not at the front end of new innovations and advanced farming methods. We watched the other growers around us, and we were the last to go. For example, from furrow irrigation to then sprinkler sprinklers, where we used sprinklers, and we had saw some benefits for doing sprinklers. And then we watched uh, other growers around us using air, drip irrigation, and then we transitioned to irrigation uh, drip irrigation when we, when we could see that they were getting a better result than we were getting with lesser or older uh, technologies. And so I, I would tell you that our ability to kind of look around, learn from others, 
Uh, we were always, I know in a, later in this discussion, I hope we get to talk about marketing, how important that is for the urban farmer, but you have to be able to produce a product. Yes, that's kind of the number one thing, and as we've evolved over time is we've really relied on watching others, learning from others, getting expert opinions from, like, for example, your company and others to show up and tell us that this is what other people are doing around the country or around the state, and and you 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 know any farmer will invest in something that gives them gives them a higher predictability of a better outcome. But you have you know it's kind of a show me that it works, and then I'll invest in that. And that's the way we've operated for many years. We've really relied on a lot of these experts in research, experts in technology, experts in uh, some of these ag associations, whether it's Farm Bureau to Western Growers to uh, the Irrigation Association. They, they they give us a chance to come and look at these advanced technologies are the latest, newest way of doing things. And we have to choose, is that uh, worth investing in so that we can improve, you know, our outcome and ultimately get a, either higher production or lower our costs, or more importantly these years, is get higher efficiency of precision agriculture, climate-smart agriculture, if you will, that allows us to say that we're really maximizing uh, all of our inputs uh, and getting the best results with the best climate footprint, the best um, uh, ecosystem benefit that you could you could pull together, and that's kind of where we're all headed these days because there's so many concerns, observations, and, and need for us to move in that direction. Ag, what are the you, you mentioned uh, the marketing of your products? That was actually my next question. What are some of the biggest challenges in addition to marketing? that you face not only as a farmer but as an urban farmer? Is it labor, water, environmental, marketing? What, uh, what, 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 uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, Paul, it's all the above. I mean, uh, if you made a list of things that could put you out of business tomorrow, and this doesn't mean just an urban farmer. Uh, it could be any farmer in America. But if we were to talk about being an urban farmer, all there's so many things that could put you out of business tomorrow, and these are some real things that we've been dealing with. I mean, in my lifetime, we've had situations where, because of a, a really lousy immigration system, uh, that we've all suddenly run out of labor, and the labor we have has been years ago. They had raids, and and and, and we still have a broken immigration system, and this that's the backbone of agriculture, especially the fruit and vegetable industry is. People that are skilled, I, I hate people talking about uh, farm people, farm labor as unskilled. It, it, it's just such the opposite. But if you don't have a secure labor force, that could really, really mess you up. And then, so you get a lot of people show up and they've never, if they've never practiced agricultural skills in your fields, whether you're pruning a fruit tree or, or, or planting certain plants or, or, or weeding around really delicate transplants, or, or if you're in a hydroponic system, just trying to make sure you do the right things, that skill set's so important. But if the labor doesn't show up, you're, you're done. And if you're in the middle of a harvest and all of a sudden, for whatever reasons, your labor shut off, that, that happens. Um, this last year I have a, a, on water. You're, you know, if your water doesn't show up, uh, I, a year ago in June we, had, we farmed down in the San Juan Capistrano area, and our well went dry on one of our little uh, pieces of land there, and we we ran out of water. We were fortunate to get a bleeder line, a, a temporary line, to help finish that crop off. But because we don't own the property, uh, and there are some permanent crops like avocados and citrus in the area, 
Uh, in that case, our landlord said, hey, let's just wait and see if it rains more, but for now, don't farm anymore. And sure enough, last year it didn't, far, it didn't rain, and so at this point we're not farming uh, the acreage that we normally would down there because of this drought that we're in. Um, I've had a situation where I've lost crops uh, over the years more than uh, more times than I would want to. Actually, it's more times than you, anybody wants to, but it, we all go through this where insect pests can take your crop down. Uh, and if you're growing organically these days, it's not easy. There's a lot of times where there'll be an imbalance because of the weather or because of other challenges. And I know that uh, keeping your crops healthy, and that's the same thing whether you're inside of a, a, a greenhouse and suddenly some insect pest gets inside uh, or a disease, you can have all kinds of problems from uh, pests and, and pathogens that get into your systems. might be rot after a rainstorm. All these things can shut you down. And, and you're suddenly completely out. out. Uh, there's some diseases that will kill the entire field, uh, and that's happened in my lifetime. And so you depend on the tools to help protect you against that. And then there's still the challenges of you might find that suddenly your neighbor has a pest that's in a quarantine. Uh, it might have a med fly or a fruit fly or, a, uh, or some different kind of a pest, and suddenly uh, the agricultural commissioner will step in and say, you know what, you can't ship your product if you're shipping it out of the region. You'll have to, you can't ship it out anymore because you have to take care of this pest. And we've watched that happen where we get dragged into a quarantine uh, or have a problem. And, of course, there's this always ever-present challenge with uh, food safety where you could have a, an outbreak that is traced back or you could have a, a positive sample that's traced back to your fields. And you have to deal with that and address that, no matter what your size is. And these are some of the burdens for the smaller producers, too, whether you're big or small. All of these issues you have to address, and they become burdens on trying to just stay in business in the first place. So, um, uh, when, when Paul, when you ask the question, what are, what are the biggest challenges, all of those today have been big issues that just in these last decade, for example, I, I can tell you very truthfully, we've suffered from every single one of those in one way or another yeah, over this last decade, and you kind of just, you, you're, you're, you feel blessed if you're still in business that one of these hasn't actually put you completely out of business. Yeah, that's an incredible skill set, uh, certainly for uh, an industry that does have a reputation as, uh, you know, farming as, you know, a, a low-skill thing. Quite frankly, it sounds like... Um, from your description of it, um, it might be uh, you might need the, the highest level of diverse skills in the whole world to be a farmer to manage all those aspects. Can you can you walk us through uh, a typical day of how you actually uh, grow the crop and and decide you know how to use that precious resource water? Uh, I think you'd probably like to share that with our listening audience on how you folks are uh, good stewards of that water and how you decide to use it and run that run that system. You say you're using drip systems now. We appreciate that. Um, how does that work with you? Here's a good example. Just uh, three months ago, we were, were we were just finished planting uh, our strawberry crop for this upcoming year, and as we were choosing the different places where we were going to plant our strawberries, there was one field that we knew that we couldn't choose because it had a disease complex in it that we 
and we grow certified organic strawberries, but this one field we know that has disease complex in it, we know that we can't grow there anymore because the disease will basically take down our entire field. We had another field that we were ready to plant, that basically we were just about ready to get it furrowed up and, and ready to plant. And then we started to think, uh, one of the places that we farm on is uh, an old uh, abandoned Air Force base. This is the El Toro Marine Base, which is now the Great Park. And we have some great, really wonderful ground out there that has that is basically has not been farmed on for 60 years. So we were able to repurpose that land and get it ready to go. And it's some of the best, wonderful ground I've ever farmed on. But what, what I wanted to say is we saw this one piece of ground that we were looking at where all, now that we're talking about we're in a drought, but we're also talking about when you come out of a drought, El Nino is what is what we're all discussing right now that we're we have anticipated uh, um, enormous amounts of rain that should come if it's going to pull us out of the drought that means we have enormous amount of rain which generally means you have a lot of flooding and this one field in particular we started to look at it this is about late august and we're saying you know what this field i don't know that we can really protect the water the way it's if it comes up and we get these huge storms i think this field's going to go underwater because we've never farmed in this area. It's a brand-new field to us. But as we were looking at the, the terrain around it, and you have to kind of estimate and guesstimate exactly what the water will do in huge amounts. And it's one thing if it's a half an inch. It's another thing if it's a one inch. Nothing if, it's another thing if it's like six inches, like what happened, or eight inches in a single day that happened in the, uh, out, out in the south there. And so we took a hard look at it and we said, you know, I think this field is not going to be a good field to plant with strawberries because I think it's going to go into water. I don't think we can prevent the water from coming in the way it's, it's the way it was uh, set up. And sure enough, we walked away. We said, let's not plant there. And then we had this freak, uh, really unprecedented, almost unprecedented rainstorm in September uh, that sure enough, two inches of rain fell. Uh, on a single day in September, and we got a chance to see all this water come in, and sure enough, that field flooded. And so we were we were really blessed that that happened because it gave us a chance to see that that that's not going to work because we can anticipate some big rainstorms this summer. I mean, this winter. And so let's just mentally just get over it. Let's not plant that, and we'll go find, try and find another place. Um, as we look at water right now, is 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 you know. I think the public can understand if they have a lawn in front of their house and now it's dead because they've cut back the water uh, because everybody's trying to save water or they're, you know, trying to get by on less and less water. There's a point of maximum efficiency for making sure the plant can thrive. Our, our goal is that the plant needs to thrive, and we want to give it all the right fertilizers. We don't want to give it too much. We don't want to give it all the right amount of water. We don't want to give it too much or not enough. And so constantly we're using whatever tools we can find, whether it's hydrometers, whether it's different kind of monitoring systems, if it's just old-fashioned, squeeze the soil, see if it balls up in your hand because there's enough moisture in it, take a look at a card, look at the plant. We've always been told that don't let the plant tell you what it needs because by that point you've kind of missed the boat a bit. If the plant, you know, starting to shrivel because it's dried out, you, you should have anticipated the plant was dry. Don't don't let the plant tell you a, a negative. Uh, a negative. Let it show you that it's thriving and it's robust and it's looking great. And you can kind of see that or feel that in, in the things that you grow. But if you're a reactive kind of farmer, 
um, and you're waiting for the negative things to tell you, oh, I better do this, I better do that, that's a pretty good prescription for going out of business over time. You, you, you have to try, you have to try and get to the point where you're anticipating the needs of the living organisms that you're working with that you're trying to manage. In this case, for us, it's, it's plants. If you're a livestock grower, like you're, you're raising chickens or pigs or other kind of goats or, or cattle, of course, or, or sheep, you know, you can't wait for the animal to be uh, hurting before you realize that, oh, I need to feed it more, I need to give it more water, or it's, it's you know, something else is bothering it. Uh, agriculture is all about observation of the living organism that you're trying to help thrive, because if it thrives, then you can har- it'll, it'll reach the good harvest. So, you know, the, 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 the tools that are provided, like, like we were saying, uh, we're constantly looking for ways to improve our, our systems, um, because ultimately that's how we stay in business. Um, and, and what's exciting this is that there's lots of new, incredible uh, tools and, 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 and ways to look at how you might provide water, uh, whether it's a hydroponic system, whether it's an aeroponic system, whether you're using uh, aquaponics to kind of cycle uh, the, the, the nutrients from a fish population into your into your plants, we're, we're really, it's an exciting time. We're, we, I, I always say that we're kind of in an age of enlightenment or a, an awakening, if you will, a reawakening for agriculture. Uh, and, and it's exciting. It's, I hope, I, I know that you see it too, because we're, we're in the middle of it, and yet the public kind of is so disconnected for the most part of where their food comes from. That's why maybe these programs like these really help, help plug people back into their food supply. In the uh, thank you, AG. In the minute we have left, uh, I just uh, would uh, want to thank you for for your time and effort to be, participate. I know your schedule is very very busy. Uh, thank you for your service to our state uh, in, as a as an appointed official. Thank you for your continued efforts in growing uh, high quality, nutritious food to feed the citizens not only of the state. But uh, but uh, the country and the world. So uh, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, Ag. Paul and Paul and Ingi, thanks. Can I just make one last quick statement? Is that for your listeners, those that want to get involved in agriculture, um, whether it's uh, working with Archie's Acres or any of the groups that are starting to show that there's a huge need for new farmers, an enormous demand 